Hemostasis Connect is an initiative of Core2Ed. This podcast is supported by an independent educational grant from Takeda. The views in this podcast are the personal opinions of the experts. They do not necessarily represent the views of the experts' academic institution or the rest of the Hemostasis Connect group. For expert disclosures on any conflict of interest, please visit the Core2Ed website. Hello. And welcome to this podcast series on women with bleeding disorders. I'm Professor Rezan Abdul Qadir. I'm an obstetrician and gynecologist at the Royal Free Foundation Hospital in London, in the United Kingdom. I'm here together with uh, Dr. Uh, Rosalind uh, Duaro, consultant hematologist at the Reference Center for Hemophilia and Rare Bleeding Disorders at Bicetre Hospital and University of uh, Paris-Saclay in France. Welcome, Rosalind. Thank you, Rosanne. In the previous episode, uh, Dr. Michelle Lavigne and Dr. Sarah O'Brien discussed the importance of recognizing bleeding symptoms in women and girls. Today, Rosanne and I are going to talk about diagnosing bleeding disorders. So, Rosanne, when you consider a potential bleeding disorder in your work as an obstetrician and gynecologist, what are your next steps? So, Rosalind, as you know, as obstetrician gynecologists, we are the um, first-line professionals who deal and manage uh, women when they present with gynecological or obstetric bleeding. So the first step is important that there is an awareness in the obstetric and com- uh, gynecology community Uh, of the facts that bleeding disorders can affect women and uh, that these disorders, if not detected and diagnosed, has a major impact on their health and quality of life. So we can play a a big role in identifying these women and um, uh, facilitating their diagnosis. And as we know, uh, there is a delay in diagnosis um, in women compared to men because um, bleeding is expected in women during menstruation and childbirth. And um, even when it's recognized to be excessive, the focus of management in our practice on, uh, is on the obstetric and gynecological causes. So let us, for example, take heavy menstrual bleeding, which is the um, commonest gynecological problem It accounts for about 20% of our outpatient consultation in gynecology. We know that um, one in five women with heavy menstrual bleeding can have an underlying bleeding disorder. These bleeding disorders, unfortunately, are not uh, diagnosed by a simple test, but we need a specialized um, laboratory testing. So we cannot do these tests on every woman with heavy menstruation. But we, as first-line professional, general practitioner, obstetrician, and gynecologist, could identify um, these women and girls by taking a detailed history that includes a history of their menstruation, their bleeding symptoms, and family history. So the kind of question that I would ask um, when I face a woman that could potentially have a bleeding disorder is, the uh, onset of heavy menstrual bleeding, whether it has started since her menarche, her first period, or her uh, in early teens, the severity and the duration of blood loss, um, whether she needs to uh, frequently change the path, there is flooding through her sanitary protection, 
whether her bleeding is severe enough that led to anemia or needed hospital admission. And we know these um, women or girls with such a kind of bleeding are more likely to have a, a bleeding disorders. There are other um, questions that are useful. We could ask about other gynecological bleeding, specifically ovulation bleeding, um, which presents usually as a mid-cycle pain. In addition to the uh, gynecological uh, history, it's also important for us to inquire about other bleeding symptoms, generalized bleeding symptoms, such as bruising, uh, excessive uh, bleeding after minor cuts, gum bleeding, nose bleeding, that is more than usual, uh, and specifically bleeding after uh, uh, interventions such as tooth extraction, surgery, or childbirth. Uh, and finally, of course, very important to check the family history. Is there anybody in the family with bleeding symptoms or specifically with a bleeding disorder that's already diagnosed? I think that's a very interesting view and uh, I think this is sometimes very difficult to recognize those um, girls and, and women who have uh, such symptoms. So, Razan, do you use some screening tools in order to help the process, in order to identify these women and girls? Oh, yes, uh, Rosalind, uh, that's uh, uh, correct. Absolutely. We, we, fortunately, there are few screening tools that are helpful for us clinicians to use to help us easily identify these women. And um, examples of this screening tool is the pictorial blood assessment chart, which is a pictorial chart used um, for assessment of menstrual blood loss. And it gives us uh, all the information that you would ask in the history, uh, the duration of menstruation, they, um, but also gives us a score based on the number of the uh, sanitary protections is used and the degree with which it's uh, soaked with the uh, menstrual blood. So that would help us to identify those who are actually having um, a heavy menstrual loss. There are other tools which also incorporate other factors, such as Philips score, which are composed of a series of questions about menstruation, about um, whether the um, girl or woman had a um, anemia, or about other bleeding symptoms. And finally, I also um, use in my practice uh, the bleeding assessment tool, uh, which is validated by the International Society of Thrombosis Hemostasis for um, assessment of bleeding in any individual who has uh, suspected to have an underlying bleeding um, disorder and takes into account all the general bleeding symptoms as well as uh, heavy menstruation and blood loss after childbirth and um, score them according to the severity of the bleeding symptom. So uh, may I ask you, Rosalind, um, what would you prefer us as obstetrician gynecologists or even my general practitioner uh, colleagues um, to refer to you for further assessment um, for an underlying bleeding disorder? Thank you, Rosanne. I think that you already give a lot of information regarding the way to uh, pick up those uh, women and girls that may have a bleeding disorders and through the screening tools that you are using. Um, obviously, we are also using the same um, types of um, bleeding scores that are extremely helpful in 
in order to uh, differentiate those who have a high risk of having a bleeding disorder compared to those that may have maybe a more gynecological um, issue. So the bleeding tools for us are extremely um, helpful. I would say that uh, we also, uh, as you you are doing it, uh, we do also perform these bleeding uh, scores and especially the ISTH bleeding score. And uh, we explain as well to um, the young adolescent how to um, record the pictorial blood assessment chart, because this is very helpful in order to document it, the uh, uh, amount of the heavy menstrual bleeding. What we uh, as hematologists um, are uh, also dedicated to, to, to find is all the other members of the family, because um, this is not unusual to have a diagnosis that finally will be made of a bleeding disorder because a young adolescent has menorrhagia um, and, uh, and heavy menstrual bleeding. And uh, finally, we ask about the uh, bleeding history of the other members of the family. That will help as well to detect other members and, uh, in the family. And sometimes the diagnosis is made in the mother of that young girl. And she has not been diagnosed for many, many years. And um, I think that this um, um, comprehensive uh, family approach is important because it is really helpful to detect other members that could benefit from the diagnosis of uh, a bleeding disorder. Because when a diagnosis is made, this means that you will be able to start some um, therapeutic issues that we'll be um, discussing in another podcast. But I think that's um, the, the role that first line um, professionals uh, is extremely important to detect who uh, could have a bleeding disorders and to then um, make the appropriate um, pathway through uh, the hematologist in order to have the um, blood analysis made in order to make um, the, the diagnosis. May I um, add something um, if, uh, to this valid point you raised is um, in obstetric practice, um, it's uh, also our duty as obstetrician gynecologists to, um, as you said, to think of the family members. When um, a baby is born with a hemophilia, often the mother is forgotten and the other family members. So I think also we have the duty to check um, the family member and ask about their bleeding symptom and make um, arrangements so that they come to you specialists for further assessment. The other point in obstetric I thought was is very important is uh, the um, postpartum hemorrhage, specifically secondary postpartum hemorrhage, because um, as we know, um, many women with bleeding disorders have very heavy blood loss and um, long period of bleeding after childbirth beyond the period of perperium, which is six to eight weeks. And that's because their clotting factor would have raised in pregnancy, but after childbirth will go back to their baseline, um, i.e. deficient uh, level about two to three days when the uterus is still big and um, the placental bed is raw. So that leads them to uh, heavy bleeding. And these women also um, uh, are important that we don't forget about them and make arrangements that um, they are seen by specialists and they uh, uh, possibility of underlying bleeding disorder is explored. I think that's very important. And then another point is also all the um, uh, surgeries, the 
gynecological uh, surgeries that maybe um, are uh, performed because of some bleeding symptoms that are very uh, uh, frequent and um, impairing the quality of life uh, in those who already had their children and then the, don't want to be bothered anymore by some uh, uh, bleeding experiences that are extremely um, um, deleterious on the daily uh, life. And um, sometimes the diagnosis is just made uh, at that time, just prior the surgery, when they come to a tertiary center and then they have the diagnosis of environment. But I think that um, if uh, we succeed in uh, raising the awareness of the bleeding disorders in general and in girls in particular, I hope that uh, these situations will come uh, more rare in future and that we will diagnose those girls much earlier. So what about the laboratory test? Would you recommend us, um, for example, the general practitioners or uh, obstetrician gynecologists when we see these um, uh, patients to do uh, any laboratory test for them, such as coagulation screen? Um, what is your recommendation in that regard? Uh, that's a very important question, I think, Rezan, because sometimes some uh, workup is done uh, just in the local lab and it takes some time to get uh, the appointments to get there. And, um, and then you have um, the uh, general practitioner that will interpret this first uh, biological results and uh, then they will discover maybe nothing and because usually when you have a mild von Veteran disease this general coagulation test um, do not show any um, indication that there is a bleeding disorder so the risk is just to misdiagnose um, those patients uh, in fact, the the uh, general coagulation tests like the protrombin time or the uh, PTT uh, can be normal in von Veribon disease. So if you want to diagnose such a disease, a very specific test is needed to make the diagnosis. And then we come to the expertise of the diagnosis of the von Veribon factor, which sometimes is um, quite difficult because there is a lot of different uh, von Veribon disease and to really well characterize these disease, uh, we really uh, need to have um, experimented uh, laboratories in order to make the diagnosis done. Another um, point is that uh, with the functional defect of platelets, you can have a normal platelet count, but um, the defect of the function of the platelets cannot be um, diagnosed by a simple coagulation test. It really needs some very specific um, uh, tests that are performed only on the specialist uh, laboratories. And so that's another reason why sometimes uh, you will not see any defect in the um, uh, PT and the PTT um, coagulation um, first-line tests. So I would say that the diagnosis of the coagulation parameters, uh, it is not a fault to perform that on a first-line basis. But uh, I think that the priority is when you suspect a bleeding disorder is first to refer to a hematologist that would be much more efficient and uh, will reduce the delay before we get the appropriate diagnosis. However, uh, usually when you have heavy menstrual bleeding, these um, symptoms have some consequences regarding the level of the hemoglobin count and the level of the iron um, uh, stocks. And so 
sometimes you will have some complications related to iron deficiency. It is very important to get the level of hemoglobin and to, um, to just check uh, if, the, um, if there is an iron deficiency or, or not, because this is something that can be corrected uh, quickly and uh, very easily. And this will help quite a lot uh, these young girls in order not to have the symptoms related to anemia and to iron deficiency. So the, I would say um, that the coagulation tests are not uh, completely mandatory at that first level. What is mandatory when you suspect a bleeding disorder is really to refer to the specialist, the hemostasis specialist, in, in order to have all the tests done. Uh, and I also want to add that I see a lot of young uh, girls with um, uh, symptoms of fatigue and tiredness, even though their hemoglobin is normal. And when we do iron studies, ferritin or a transferrin saturation, we find that they are um, iron deficient before the stage of anemia. And I agree with you, this is very important to um, uh, ma detect and manage uh, iron deficiency, even if it's, there is no anemia. So um, that was a great discussion, Rosalind. Uh, so for me um, today, um, I can uh, think of three uh, important key takeaways um, as an obstetrician and gynecologist. Uh, firstly, is to consider underlying bleeding disorders when I deal with um, a young girl or a woman who's presenting with gynecological bleeding, in particular heavy menstrual bleeding um, or recurrent ovulation bleeding leading to recurrent pain during mid-cycle. And it is important that uh, we take a detailed history, including menstrual history, gynecological history, bleeding history and the family history. The second important uh, message um, I would say is that for um, the first-line professionals uh, to familiarize ourselves with the use of these screening tools we've just discussed because they are simple to use and um, uh, helpful for uh, to identify those who need referral for hematological assessment. And I would um, say that it is important that referred to um, you, um, a young girl who, uh, or a woman who had heavy menstruation since menarche, or she has a very heavy bleeding that has led to anemia or needed hospital admission, and certainly um, not responding to medical treatment definitely before we uh, plan or contemplate um, hysterectomy. And uh, the final important uh, message um, is that that we don't need to waste our time and wait and do coagulation screen uh, PTS and APTT, as you mentioned, um, uh, because alone these two, these tests will not uh, help diagnose even to rule out uh, underlying bleeding disorders. But um, it is important that we arrange a laboratory testing to diagnose anemia and iron deficiency so that we uh, manage uh, anemia while we're waiting for um, a specialist assessment. I think, uh, Rezan, that uh, your three um, takeaway messages are extremely important. And I just would like to emphasize the need uh, to make diagnosis much earlier in those girls, because it has been documented now that the delay to make diagnosis is extremely important. 
and just by the fact that heavy menstrual bleeding are very difficult to recognize for those um, uh, adolescents that usually don't know what is normality or what is abnormality regarding their menstruation. And um, I also would like to emphasize the role of the first uh, line healthcare professionals, but also dentists, um, uh, nurses at schools and uh, uh, social workers, maybe they can be aware of a situation. And uh, that is uh, very important to know that uh, everyone can uh, have an impact and help those girls in order to find a way uh, to get that diagnosis made. And finally, that the diagnosis is one thing, but even if the diagnosis of um, the um, very specific bleeding disorder is not completely made, symptomatic treatment can already um, be implemented. And um, this is um, kind of a teasing for um, next um, podcast regarding the, uh, the, the, the management and the treatment. Um, antifibrinolytics, for example, are extremely helpful and can be implemented very uh, quickly after the diagnosis of heavy menstrual bleeding. So thank you uh, very much, uh, Rosalind. I think um, we um, um, had a great discussion and, and I think we all have a role in early diagnosis and implementing uh, simple measures to improve quality of life before final diagnosis is made. So before we close, um, uh, I uh, like to invite you to listen to uh, other episodes of this podcast series available on hemostasisconnect.info and on your preferred podcast platform. Uh, as we mentioned in the previous episode, Dr. Levin um, and Dr. Sarah O'Brien discussed the importance of recognizing bleeding symptoms in women and girls. And in the next uh, episode, Deborah Pollard and Michelle Levin will discuss management of uh, bleeding symptoms and bleeding disorders um, in these women and girls. Thank you very much. Thank you, Rosanne. It has been a pleasure. This Hemostasis Connect podcast was brought to you by Court Ed Independent Medical Education.